Greetings and welcome to Union Street Hoops. I'm your host, Paul Oren, and you're tuned into a podcast dedicated to Valparaiso basketball and the Missouri Valley Conference. Got a couple of interesting guests for you on the pod today, and we'll do a quick recap of what's going on in the world of Valparaiso basketball as they prepare for a Saturday night tilt against Indiana State, Valpo's first Saturday night home game of the year, I believe, and uh, it's a big game against a in-state rival. Later on in the podcast, we've got Tony Segetti coming up, a Bradley basketball fan who, believe it or not, runs the Missouri Valley Fantasy Hoops League. Yes, the Missouri Valley Conference has a fantasy basketball league, and I've always been intrigued by this, and so I've got Tony on the pod here to tell us about it. And then one of our favorite guests on Union Street Hoops, try to get him on at least once a year and just uh, hit record whenever we get him going. It's Mark Adams, ESPN broadcaster, former coach, coached all over the place, Central Connecticut State, Washington State, a couple other places as well. Mark Adams is on the front lines of the battle for non-conference scheduling. And, you know, at the beginning of every year, I like to talk to Luke Gore about how the schedule kind of comes together. And then I like to talk to Mark Adams really kind of at the end of the non-conference slate to look back and see what happened. And Mark Adams has got some impassioned numbers that he's going to throw your way later in the podcast and talking about non-conference scheduling, particularly by games and how much they have slanted the favor of uh, of the net rankings and really at-large bids to the favor of the big boys in the Big Ten in specific because of what they have been able to do with their 20-game conference schedule and then buying everything up that they've got. And we'll take a look a little bit at Valpo as well and see where their buy games ended up. But first, I want to take a look back at the last couple games that Valpo's played, the last three in particular, right? we The last time we were on the podcast, Aaron Levitt came in and we talked about the all-decade team. And I want to thank you all for the feedback that you gave for that, for both Aaron and I. Had a lot of fun putting together that podcast. It was a blast. And, uh, and, and really, a lot of people, I think, enjoyed listening to that from the feedback that we got. Quite, quite a bit of fun to look at that. And uh, I think my favorite piece of feedback I got came from across the pond uh, and uh, one Alec Peters who sent me a message on Twitter and and told me that he very much enjoyed listening to the podcast and then uh, and then hinted that he would love to be back on an episode of Union Street Hoops. So we are going to uh, we're going to get that going here. Uh, in, in the near future, it'll be great to have Alec on again to, to visit with him about maybe what his pro career has been like, because we've talked with him a little bit when he was prepping for the NBA draft. And then, you know, he we went to the Phoenix Suns and and now he spent two years in, in EuroLeague and he's doing a great job over there. Obviously, he, of course, made the all decade team, but uh, can't wait to, to hear from him. And, you know, time has a way of... Uh, of allowing people to talk about some things. So maybe if uh, if we can get Alec to come back on, maybe we can dive a little deeper into some topics that happened during his career at Valpo that might be interesting to, uh, to discuss. But that is for another time. Valpo, some interesting games, kind of like uh, the worst of times, the best of times, and then I don't know what quite to think of this last one. That game at Southern Illinois was... In a word, awful. A season-low 50 points that Valpo scored. They really just looked out of sorts the entire game. 
to the degree that when we talked with Matt Lodick later on, you know, and and really even on the phone that night, he he alluded that they just weren't focused, they weren't there. Uh, it, it just it didn't go Valpo's way, losing sixty three to fifty to Southern Illinois in a game I'm sure Valpo would want back. Southern Illinois is kind of going through a retooling right now with a lot of uh, you know a new coaching staff here. Although Mullins is a very highly thought of guy in the valley, has been around. Um, but and Aaron Cook was out. Their their leading scorer, their star player, and so what happens? Marcus Damask, a freshman, scores 21 points in the first half, goes 8 of 8 from the floor. A guy was on fire. And then Eric McGill takes over in the second half, and he scores a bunch of points in the second half. And other than Javon Freeman Liberty, 16 points on 21 shots, it just didn't go Valpo's way. Donovan Clay was 3 of 13 from the floor, 0 of 4 from the three-point line, and missed all three of his free throws. And he did have nine rebounds, two blocks, and and a couple of assists. But it just, there was nobody else other than Javon that really kind of stepped up in that game. Malik McMillan had a pair of three-pointers. John Kaiser had a good game off the bench, nine points, nine rebounds, three steals. But that secondary score just wasn't there. Nick Robinson, limited to 20 minutes, did not play a lot down the stretch. Aaron Gordon played almost 30 minutes, but again, only got three shots. If Aaron Gordon's going to be on the floor for 29 minutes, you need to see him get some more opportunities there. That was a struggle. And then you flip it over to the Drake game, and this is a big one for Valpo, right? At home, DJ Wilkins, Anthony Murphy, Roman Penn, Jonah Jackson, four guys in the starting lineup, along with a potential Valley first-teamer, Liam Robbins, but those first four guys all from Northwest Indiana. It was announced right before the game that Tremel Murphy, another player from Northwest Indiana, the twin brother of Anthony Murphy, was going to undergo knee surgery and was going to be seeking a medical redshirt. So he's out for the rest of the year. He'll be back. Roman Penn from Bishop Knoll, uh, to, to use the parlance of our times, he was on one in that game. 21 points, 8 rebounds, 7 assists. But equally, Donovan Clay, who struggled in that Southern Illinois game and then was vacant in the Northern Iowa game, was excellent. Three three-pointers, 7 of 7 from the free throw line. He'd missed all three of his free throws against Southern Illinois and then makes all seven here against Drake. Seven rebounds, 18 points, two assists. He had a block, played a game high. Well, no, excuse me, Javon played 37 minutes, but Donovan Clay played 32 minutes and was superb in that game. And this is what you see with, with freshmen, right? Donovan Clay, not very good against Southern Illinois, not very good against Northern Iowa, superb against Drake. Freeman Liberty, 15 points, five rebounds, five assists, a pair of steals, got 10 shots. The guy that really kind of struggled offensively was Malik McMillan. Played okay defensively at times, but 16 minutes, 2 of 13 from the floor, 0 of 5 from the three-point line. He's going up against Jonah Jackson, one of his really good friends, who Jonah Jackson was 0 of 5, all from the three-point line, and had a foul. He played 27 minutes, missed five shots and a foul, uh, not quite a 27 trillion because of those five misses and the foul, but did not get a rebound, a steal, an assist, a block, didn't turn it over, didn't do anything in that game. 
DJ Wilkins played 34 minutes, seven points. All three of those guys went to Merrillville. Malik really did struggle, and there was a stretch there where I think he missed baskets on like three or four straight possessions. McMillan was then taken out of the game. John Kaiser was put in to play the five against Liam Robbins, and Kaiser was great. And he had three steals. He scored eight points. He got to the line, hit a couple of free throws, knocked down two three-pointers. For those who played the over-under game, John Kaiser's already eclipsed the over-under of 11.5 three-pointers this year. He has really, uh, you know, been an excellent spark off the bench. And this, again, this was another game for Valpo that Nick Robinson, you can just tell he's laboring with the back injury a bit there. But a big win. And something that needs to be looked at. Valpo's free throw shooting was horrendous against Southern Illinois. But as Matt Loddick pointed out after the game, free throws beat Evansville and they beat Drake 18 of 20 from the free throw line, whereas Drake three of four only got to the line uh, four times. And this is just how different basketball is. You know, Drake committed 16 fouls. Valpo committed 12 fouls. So relatively close but Valpo with 16 more free throw attempts. And, you know, yeah, I've got to point that out because I certainly do point out every time Valpo has a horrendous uh, free throw differentiation there. But kudos to Valpo for getting to the line because it's something that they just, a lot of games, they have just not been able to manufacture shots at the line. Now, if Drake doesn't shoot 10% from the three-point line, two of 20, maybe this ends a little bit different. Valpo took 57 shots, 31 of them were three-pointers. Crazy. So then we go to the Northern Iowa game. You know going to Northern Iowa is going to be tough. It's going to be a hard game. They're the best team in the league, and I don't think it's particularly close. And Valpo goes there. Javon Freeman-Liberty, who struggled in two games against Northern Iowa last year, including at home when they beat Northern Iowa, he only had two points, scores the first basket of the game. Typically, when Javon scores first right off the bat, looks like he might have a big night. Looked that way against Drake when he scored five points to start the game and then didn't score much until the second half. Javon scores right off the bat, but then as things go... Drake or Northern Iowa, excuse me, jumps out to a 15 to four lead. They have got a big lead. Okay. Here comes Valpo. They tie the game. They take the lead. They go on a 20 to four run. So I'll see your 15 to four run and I'll raise you a 20 to four run. Valpo's up 41 30 late in the half. This is a dream. You're going to go into the locker room with a double digit lead. This is great. And then Spencer Haldeman knocks down a pair of three-pointers in the final 70 seconds of the half to keep it within shouting distance at 42-36. Okay, first five minutes of the second half on the road are always the most important. Come out, set the tone. Oh, a tone was set all right. Northern Iowa comes out and scores the first 17 points of the second half to cap off a 23-1 run. We had a 15 to 4 run, a 20 to 4 run, and a 23 to 1 run. That's absurd. AJ Green scored 10 points during that run, finished with 29 points, 5 of 10 from the three point line, 6 of 6 from the free throw line, 3 rebounds, 3 assists, and a steal. Equally as impressive 
was Javon Freeman Liberty. 28 points, 8 rebounds, 4 steals. He's going to obliterate Lubos Barton's single-season steal record of 63. Javon Freeman Liberty is a defensive gem when it comes to anticipating where the ball is going to go, and that leads to offense on the other side. Javon was 10 of 12 from inside the three-point line and 2 of 12 from outside the three-point line. Now, about four or five of those misses came late in the game when Valpo was chucking up shots trying to get anything going, so I think you can probably forgive him for a couple of those misses, but it's clear that Javon could get to the basket against a good defender in Isaiah Brown, against a good defender, a big guy in the middle, Austin Fife. But Valpo just could not close the door on this one. Here's something interesting about this game, and I want to I want to kind of wrap with this before we get into the guests, Tony and Mark. One of the criticisms of Matt Lodick this year has been his reliance that this is a young basketball team. I've, you know, I've been covering Valpo for a long time, and. I do kind of roll my eyes from time to time when I hear it's a young basketball team. But let's be honest. It's a young basketball team. Young in their experience of playing together. Javon Freeman Liberty played 37 minutes in this game. He's a sophomore. Daniel Sackey, 26 minutes in this game. He's a sophomore. Aaron Gordon, 24 minutes in this game, first year playing with these guys. Yes, he sat out last year, but, you know, he didn't play with them. Donovan Clay, 23 minutes. He is a freshman. Ben Cricky, 20 minutes, a freshman. Now, John Kaiser played 22 minutes. He's a senior. He's an experienced player, but he's the experienced playing with a lot of these guys. Zion Morgan, 18 minutes, first year with the program. Malik McMillan, 17 minutes, junior, has played a lot of basketball. Nick Robinson, 13 minutes, first year with the program. Those are the nine guys that played. That's the rotation that Valpo went with. They had a nine-man rotation in this game. Obviously, a couple guys not available. Fizikas, we've we've talked about that. Uh, Siggy Lorang, out with the hip. Emil has just kind of not, not gotten any playing time. So you know, those three guys... Are, are, are just not there, right? But here's the thing. So, yes, they're young to an extent. They also have some experience, right? But, again, do they have experience playing together? I know people don't want to hear this because it sounds like an excuse, but I looked back after the game. I talked with Lodic, and I, I just kind of – we're talking about, like, where the team was at, right? They're 9-9. Nine and nine, They're 2-3 and three in conference, and – and he said, look, we fought hard. The competitive spirit was there. Which, again, depending on how you want to take that, sounds sometimes like this is a good thing because I think if you look at some recent iterations of Valpo basketball, you might say that maybe that competitive spirit was lagging a little bit. Um, but he referenced the time two years ago that Valpo went to Northern Iowa. And I remember this. I was at this game. It's the only t- only trip I've made to Northern Iowa thus far. It was January 13th, 2018. Valpo trotted out a starting lineup of Tavon Walker, Max Joseph, Bakari Evelyn, and Derek Smits, along with Malik McMillan. Off the bench in that nine-man rotation that game, Micah Bradford, Marcus Golder, Martin Lintz, and Jay Soroya. From this list, five of those guys, no, six of those guys, transferred away from the program and two graduated. 
leaving Malik McMillan as the only guy from just just over two years ago on the calendar to play in that game. He started, he played nine minutes. Meanwhile, Northern Iowa started in that game. Clint Carlson and Juwan McLeod both have, have gone on, but they started Taiwan Pickford, Isaiah Brown, and Austin Fife. Fife and Pickford combined for 43 points in that game. Isaiah Brown had seven points, seven rebounds in 32 minutes. All three of those guys started on Wednesday night against Valpo. They brought Spencer Haldeman off the bench. He played 12 minutes, knocked down a key three-pointer, two rebounds, two assists. Four guys played, you know, meaningful minutes in that game, including three starters. So when we talk about Valpo being young, they are in regards to at least comparison to a Northern Iowa team. In how how do mid-major teams win, right? How do they they get to the NCAA tournament? Typically, they do it with experience. And right now, yes, you look at Northern Iowa, they've got some experience. They've got Pickford, Jr. They've got Burhau, transfer, second year in the program. has been there for a while now. Isaiah Brown, Austin Fife. Those three, the Pickford, Fife, and Brown, have been starting for Northern Iowa for quite some time, right? Now, Fife, you can argue, missed last year, but he's been in the program for several years. Haldeman off the bench. They really only played six guys on Wednesday against Valpo, and four of those guys have been playing against Valpo and been in the league for a couple years now, right? A.J. Green, one of the other guys that, that you know, he's, he's, he's the last guy. And again, you know, he's only a sophomore, but the guy's been around Northern Iowa like his entire life, right? So it, it to me, Northern Iowa's got experience They've been around each other for a long time. Valpo doesn't have that. Now, had Valpo rolled into to that McLeod Arena with a lineup of Soroya and Smits and Bakari and a healthy Fazekas and Golder and Bradford, all these guys playing together for their third straight year, fourth straight year, they wouldn't be a young team. But they are. You're right. So I get it. I get that it's nauseating to hear over and over and over again. Valpo's a young team. They have been a young team for a while now, right? They've probably been a young team every year. Maybe maybe last year wasn't really young, but they were dysfunctional. It's clear now. But, you know, Peter's a senior year, they weren't a young team. And they weren't a young team really. I mean, I guess you could go back to when he was a sophomore, but even then they had some experience on that roster and guys that had played together for for a couple of years, right? So, yes, at most, Valpo's got a two-year contingent of players that have played with each other. But when you look at the nine-man rotation of Valpo's roster, the nine guys that played in this game against Northern Iowa prior to the beginning of this season, Donovan Clay, Nick Robinson, Aaron Gordon, Zion Morgan, Ben Cricky. These guys were all, I mean, they weren't eligible to play last year. Valpo, in the, of the nine guys, had Freeman Liberty, Sackey, McMillan, and Kaiser. Those are the only guys that played last year. And we're talking about Northern Iowa bringing four guys to this game that played big minutes two years ago. They have spent years playing with each other. So, again, I'm here. I'm with you. I understand this idea that hearing that Valpo's young sounds like a broken record over and over and over again. But at least in comparison to Northern Iowa, the creme de la creme of the Missouri Valley right now, they're showing up with a bit more experience than Valpo is. 
next year, if Valpo rolls back in with Freeman Liberty and Sackey and Clay and McMillan and Robinson, those five guys, and then you've got Gordon and Cricky off the bench with Morgan and you bring in the three freshmen, those three freshmen are probably not going to be expected to come in and play the minutes that even Clay has been expected to play this year. They'll probably have more of a Cricky role, although Cricky's role will will jump up. And I know Fizikas is going to be a bonus whenever he's ready to go. And could it be Saturday against Indiana State? I don't know. It, 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 it may be. But I'll tell you this. There's not, not a chance in the world that if Valpo returns the talent that they've got this year, if they all come back next year, the words, we're a young basketball team, will never be uttered at the arc. And it would be a crime if they were. Because Valpo won't be a young team next year. I do think... There's a little bit of that right now. All that being said, you're you're 18 games into the second season for Javon Freeman Liberty and Daniel Sackey. They've played a lot of basketball, right? I mean, they've played a lot of college basketball games. They're they're bordering on the amount of college basketball games that that you know Keith Carter got to play, or or maybe that uh, that Fisikas has been able to play, right? Like they've they're they've they've logged a lot of time. So, yes, I know they're only sophomores, and we would like to say that, but they are getting older. But I, I do still think when you look at Northern Iowa, that's what you're looking for, and I think that's where Valpo will probably be next year if they get all these guys back. I was asked on – I did a, a podcast with Harry Schrader of, uh, you know, the Valley Hoops Insider, uh, and uh, Nick, the beat writer from Northern Iowa, Petraris, I believe is how you pronounce his last name. We talk about the A.J. Green and Javon Freeman Liberty uh, showdown, and so I, I will tell you to go check that out, um, uh, Valley Hoops Insider podcast. It was great. Good to talk about. And, and uh, Harry asked me if I thought Javon would stay for four years, and, and look, I everything's trending toward – Toward Javon getting some looks from the next level, and and maybe maybe uh, after next, I think he tests the waters as I think most players in his position would at least put their name out there, get some workouts, see what they need to work on, and uh, if things go the way that they're they're trending up, if he continues to improve at this level, I do think there's a every bit of chance that Javon Freeman Liberty after his junior year could very well go pro. Uh, you know, I I don't know, it's a lot of ball game left there. So uh, I want to jump into these two interviews right now. Um, we've got uh, Tony Segetti again, a Bradley basketball fan, who's kind of created this uh, this Missouri Valley Hoops Fantasy League. Uh, so that's coming up a little bit later on. But right now I want to jump into a fun interview with uh, one of our favorites here at Union Street Hoops. Thrilled to be joined by one of the most recurring guests on Union Street Hoops here We've got ESPN broadcaster Mark Adams. Mark, thanks for joining us as you are driving across the country here. Yeah, I'm, I'm heading home from Columbus today. And, Paul, listen, when you call, it's like I, I when I get a call from ESPN, it's just they tell me to jump, I say, how high? <laughs> oh, I'm ready. Look, I, in full disclosure to the listeners, yesterday you tweeted out a four-part series of tweets. I looked at them last night while the Packer game was going on. And, uh, and so my heart was with the Packers, but I thought I gotta I gotta talk to Mark about this. And then today I texted you, and you immediately said, "When do you want to do it? Let's go right now." And uh, so I'm indebted to you for that. Um, Athletic Director, you a great website has put together a list of 
a bunch of non-conference guarantee games this year. And this has been all the rage, right, with the net and people trying to figure out how to manipulate these numbers. You found a study, or, or Andy Witchery is the guy who wrote the article, but but you went through a bunch of stuff. How big of a deal are buy games right now? It's just a huge deal. And, and listen, let, let me give you some numbers and so that your, your podcast listeners understand, you know, buy games are such that, uh, Valpo, for example, which I know you're, that's, that's your favorite program. And, you know, when, when they go to Vanderbilt or someplace like that to play, uh, that's called a buy game where Vanderbilt will guarantee Valpo $90,000, $100,000 uh, in exchange for only playing one game, and that would be at Vandy's home site. So that's what a buy game or a guarantee game is. You know, Paul, I've known, as you and I have discussed this before, we've both known this is a huge problem in college basketball. But the expanse of this is eye-popping. And, and God bless AthleticDirectorU.com for, for going through the study and looking through it where this season, so we're talking about this actual season of 2019-2020, there were 594 buy games, 594. The average win margin for the home teams, that would be the big-budget programs buying mid-majors and less than mid-majors, buying them to come in and play one home game, the average win margin was 21 points for the home team. And the home team, the team that bought those games, won 91.6% of the time. Now, I don't care what metric you use to evaluate college basketball teams. When you've got teams literally buying, half of their non-conference schedule is home games, which the Big Ten did. They bought half of their non-conference games in order to play at home, and then when 90% of those games, you can't tell me there's a metric on the face of the earth that can weight those games properly and turn this into a level playing field, as is the mission of the NCAA to create a level playing field for their student-athletes. Of those 594 guarantee games, those schools spent $35 million for those teams to play. And 43 of those games were decided by 50 points or more. Now, Paul, by anyone's admission, when you look at governing bodies across the world, there isn't one governing body in any sport in the world that I can find allows this practice where you can literally buy your way into postseason play. Every other governing organization has their finger on the pulse of creating a level playing field through scheduling. Every conference does it, but the NCAA refuses to do it because it tries to cash cow of the big money, most marketable programs consistently in their NCAA tournament. And listen, God bless the Big Ten. I'm all for capitalism, and they have capitalized on this situation where they're probably going to get 12 out of their 14 teams in the NCAA tournament. I know I've gone on a while, and I'll shut up, but but that is the circumstance we face today in college basketball, and I find it freaking sickening. Valpo played in a number of these buy games. 
They went to St. Louis and lost by 11. They went to Arkansas. They played in a neutral site in Arkansas in Little Rock, and they lost by four. Valpo also bought, from what I understand, North Dakota, and they won that game at home by 14. Now, in the stuff on Athletic Director U, only four Valley teams was looked at, and a lot of that is because they found that private schools wouldn't share this information, correct? Correct. That's correct, yeah. And I can understand that. You know, they may not necessarily want people to see how the sausage gets made. Uh, yeah. Some of the numbers for the Valley was that the Valley bought 15 games uh, as host, and they were bought five times as a visitor. That actually, right. and that's out of that's out of those four teams there. That's six that didn't that didn't report here. Looking at the numbers, also the Big Ten and the SEC were never bought. What I find odd is that there's an instance on here, the ACC, a team in the ACC got bought, as did a team in the Pac-12. Do you have any insight as to which teams those were? Yeah, Georgia Tech got bought for $150,000 to go play at Kentucky. $150,000 to go play at Kentucky. Now, the other one, I don't know who the Pac-12 team was. I would have a suspicion of who it might be, but I, I, I couldn't actually tell you that. Typically, Oregon State has been a team that on occasion has been bought, but I don't, I don't know that for a fact this yeah. year. And, Paul, you know, the thing that you bring up that's interesting is that the Big Ten, you mentioned them, you know, when you literally buy half of your non-conference schedule to play at home, I mean, is that fair? And then 20 of your games are conference games. That's exactly right. Then they go to 20 games. And listen, I get it. In coaching, all I ever wanted was an unfair advantage, right? Of That's course. all I ever wanted is an unfair advantage. Well, the Big Ten looked at the, at the scheduling rules or, or non-rules as per the NCAA, and they figured out a coherent, well-thought-out, long-term strategy that would bring them an unfair advantage in scheduling. I would do the same thing. I'm not blaming the Big Ten. I'm blaming the NCAA for allowing this environment take place. The NCAA is an easy target. I get it. But I got into a Twitter war last year with a representative from the NCAA who, who tried to defend their position by saying, well, we don't have anything to do with scheduling. And I went back and said, the heck you don't. You determine how many games a team plays. You determine if they can play in certain tournaments or not. You determine if they can play overseas once every four years. But yet, you don't care about teams that, that buy, literally buy their way into the NCAA tournament by buying an inordinate amount of home games. And all I heard after that was crickets. And, and, the, and the metrics are slanted. There's no question in my mind. The metrics become slanted, not because the people who put the metrics together are trying to help certain teams. That's not the case. But when you have this overwhelming number of games that are played at home where you're winning 90% of them, Paul, that's going to skew every metric in their favor. That's the way it is. And that's what we face today in college basketball. I would imagine there's got to be some sort of equation, right, where we look at, I mean, these schools are doling out money, right? And $35 million. $35 million. But how much are they bringing in when they get all the units in the NCAA tournament? You know what I'm saying? Like, they're yeah. they're paying out, I mean, $35 million is not an in, in, insignificant number. But I've got to think that, you know, we're going to pay this team 90 here and this team 110 there, and we're going to beat them, and then we're going to take their tournament spot away from them, and then we're going to get X from 
the TV deal. Is that equate? Does that number that they balance out? I mean, obviously, I would imagine they make more money on the other other side of this for making the tournament. Yeah, I haven't looked at the actual return on investment, but to give you some numbers, try to do them in your head. Uh, every team that that plays in an NCAA tournament round, it's one point seven million as it stands today, and that one point seven million is then brought to the conference and divvied up among the members. But when you have a conference like the Big Ten, if they get seven, eight. Nine, ten, Lord knows how many it'll get this year. And you win the first round, so that's 1.7. Now you play the second round, that's another 1.7. You play in the third round, that's another 1.7. If you have multiple teams doing that, then obviously that adds up to quite a bit of money really fast. Um, you know, the other part of it is there are, there are, like in business, there's hard costs and soft costs. And, you know, the hard cost would be, or, or the, the hard, they put it in a little different way, but spend money to make money what i find here is that what the article says on athletic director you and again it's a great article written by andy witchery the most common guarantee is about ninety thousand. what we're looking at here yeah yeah and that's been the number that uh in all my research that's very very consistent with what i've seen as well valpo had a situation this year not sure if you paid much attention to it that vanderbilt and george washington both bought out of having to come to valpo there were games, so so not only did was it a buy game, they actually paid Valpo not to play, and Valpo, you know, then took some of that money and went and bought a team, North Dakota, but, but Valpo really got paid four times this year from what it looks like. When you see schools that are bringing in money like that, how is it, does every school handle the, the inflow of that money differently in terms of does it all go to basketball, does it fund other sports how do how do you see schools spend this money or is that something you're kind of familiar with yeah they spend a lot of different ways some would use it toward uh men's men's basketball and or women's basketball and other sports okay uh long beach has a different way of dealing with it where they actually use that money to pay their coach dan monson so he's incentivized for all intents and purposes to play by games because it enhances his salary believe it or not. That, uh, that's, that's one of the more unusual arrangements uh, in college basketball, but it's used in a variety of ways, either for that specific program or to supplement the costs of, of other, you know, non-revenue generating sports uh, across the board. So it's really up to the discretion of the athletic director and the leadership of the university as to how they decide to reinvest that money in their program. And Paul, I'm going to make <clears throat> probably a, an unpopular statement here, but this is what I believe, and 
years. Uh, an idea of my background, I did coach for 17 years. I, I coached at places like Idaho State. I also coached at Central Connecticut. And I coached at Washington State as well, where I was in charge of scheduling and bought teams to come in. So I've seen it from all different sides. And after looking at it the way that I have professionally as a coach and now as a broadcaster, first of all, I don't think there should be any such thing as buy games. I think I probably made that pretty clear. Yeah, yeah. But also would challenge the schools that get bought. You know, in my view, if you've got to take your student, student athletes, sell them for $90,000 per night for entertainment purposes at, at some university somewhere, <clears throat> potentially take them out of class for that purpose, never get the return home game where they get to sleep in their own beds, I think you've got to look yourself in the mirror and say, are we really a Division One program? That's my honest-to-God's truthful analysis of the situation. That's a fair. That's a fair way to look at it. Uh, on the flip side, I know that we don't like buy games because I'm with you there. John Rothstein of CBS Sports has got a good viral tweet every time someone loses a buy game. It's the epitome of brutality. Uh, UC Riverside won buy games at Nebraska for 110,000, Fresno State for 85, and San Jose for 70,000. I know that. It's not popular to get bought, but if you're going to get bought, you might as well go and win, right? I mean, that's... Well, uh, that's I, true. And, Paul, listen, it's a, it's a great point. But, you know, for, for every point, there's a counterpoint, right? Yeah, no, I agree. I agree. If for Riverside, it worked out. But these teams are winning 91.6% of the time, whatever the number was I gave you. Yeah, 91.6% of the time, you know, so does it pay to buy home games? Absolutely. When you look at how you how you position your program for an advantageous view by the selection committee. I mean, Paul, we both know the selection committee completely ignores this data when they go in the room and try to decide who's going to make the NCAA tournament, which in itself is a joke. I mean, this is important data for anybody to recognize. And, you know, while people say you got to challenge yourself and go on the road and all that kind of things, well, I can point out 900 or 594 times where, where institutions, by their own strategy, decided not to go on the road, but instead to play 50% of their games at home in non-conference play as buy games. And listen, here's the other part of it. I want to throw one more number at you. These teams, the, the top eight spending conferences in the country, so that'd be all football folks, and the Atlantic 10 is in that group, the Americans in that group, and the uh, Mountain West is in that group. I mean, they play 85% of their non-conference games either at home or on a neutral site. Think about that. That means they only play basically 15% of their games, which is one game, okay? They only play one game as a true away game during non-conference play. Meanwhile, how many true road games did Valpo have this year? They had quite a bit. Uh, you know, they went on the road to St. Louis, they went on the road to SIUE, they went on the road to Eastern Michigan, to Charlotte, and to High Point. And then that Arkansas game, their final game of the non-conference, was not in Fayetteville, but in North Little Rock, and that was a bye game as well. But Arcan <laughs> yeah. Arkansas does that thing once a year where they play in North Little Rock. So I guess you can determine that that was a neutral site. And then you look at the fact that Arkansas shot 31 free throws to Valpo's 11, and we can figure out what kind of game that was. 
Well, and here's the other thing that Dan Dockett talks about all the time is that, you know, if you're a young and upcoming basketball official and, and you're currently doing games in the Sun Belt and you get assigned the Valpo at Arkansas game and, and it comes down to a last-second call when you have an opportunity to, you know, improve your lot in life. And listen, I think officials have a tremendous amount of integrity. And I'm not saying that any official makes the call knowingly against a team or that type of thing. But it certainly creates an environment where when there's a bang-bang play and you, and, and you just subconsciously react in your own favor. And again, I'm not accusing anybody of anything, but I think it's human nature that if, if you're caught in a, a 50-50 circumstance and there happens to be a little bit of a benefit, There'd be a lot of us to make that mistake. Yeah, yeah, yeah. That's Ma- the other thing that people just never talk about, but I think it's, it's, it's at least worth noting. I will say, whenever we ask Matt Loddick, Valpo's coach, about officiating, he, he has a similar refrain every time when he says, I have a hard job, officials have a much harder job. And I think that's his, uh, his, his go-to line. Mark, I, w- I want to thank you for uh, the quick turnaround and being able to give you a call and reaching out to you here Um Obviously, we're into conference play now for the most part. I think everyone's played a road game at this point. Kentucky just went on the road recently. I think they might have been the last team in the country to play a road game. I think the Valley fans quite enjoy the bye game debate as Evansville beat Kentucky at Rupp Arena this year. Uh, Thank you, as always. Are you doing a lot of American games this year? What are you doing? Yeah, I'm in the American again this year. I'm really excited about it. I just had... uh... I had UCF against Cincinnati. Cincinnati's coming on. You know, Memphis is a great story with Precious Achua. And, of course, James White's been done for the year. So what do they do? They just ramp up Precious Achua to play a little bit better. And that's a lot of fun. And the story down in uh, Tulane with, with Ron Hunter, that team has already, I think, won 10 games. They won four all of last year. Uh, it's just really a, a great conference, a lot of fun. And as you know, I, I have the best job in the world, and I enjoy every single second of it, and I will until they throw me out of the booth. Well, hey, we appreciate it. And, again, about once a year we have you on, and always I feel smarter about basketball when we talk. Mark Adams, thank you very much. You can catch him on Twitter at Enthusiadams, which is the greatest Twitter handle in the world. Thanks again, Mark. My pleasure. Thanks, Paul. We're joined now on the podcast by one of the first Missouri Valley Conference fans that really reached out to me and embraced me, joined by Tony Segetti, big fan of the Bradley Braves. Tony, thanks for joining. Thanks, Paul. It's good to be here. One of the reasons, you know, when when Valpo joined the Valley, obviously I got on Twitter and, you know, kind of saw the lay of the land a little bit there. And you were one of the early guys that reached out to me. I thought that was really nice. And... Um, you know, we've, we've met a couple times when Valpo's pr- played Bradley, but your knowledge of the Valley to me was, uh, th- when going, looking at it, I thought, man, these Valley fans are really, really smart about everybody in the league. And then I realized there was a reason for that. Uh, you run the Missouri Valley Conference Fantasy Basketball League. I think it actually has a, a official name, right? Yeah, it's the Missouri Valley Fantasy Basketball League. We use the hashtag MVFH on Twitter for Missouri Valley Fantasy Hoops. How does something like this come together? Uh, You know, obviously fantasy sports is huge, 
you know, people, I play football, I play baseball all the time. I'm terrible at fantasy NBA. Uh, I did a little bit of fantasy Horizon League stuff with a couple of people back in the day, but it was really just like a year-to-year thing that, um, but but this sounds like it's had some staying power over the years, right? Right. So this, this all started way back in 2010, 2011. This is our 10th season doing it. So way back then... The credit for creating the league actually goes to Joe Stokowski, Redbird Recon. On oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. He's, he's from Peoria, was a Bradley fan growing up, abandoned Peoria, went to Illinois State, joined the Redbirds. So going into the 2010-2011 season, Illinois State and Bradley were both projected to be terrible. And we both ended up having horrible years, finished tied for last in the conference, And Joe came up with this idea to do this fantasy league to just kind of keep a bunch of us all still involved in the Valley because watching these games when you're in these downswings is just really hard to get through. So he created this league with four ISU fans and four Bradley fans to keep us involved in all the other games and keep us entertained. And right off the bat, it was one of the most fantasy leagues we've ever been in. The way that it was set up was really well done, and it just it kept us really interested in the Valley when we were less interested in our teams because it was a lot harder to watch those games. No, that makes sense. That makes sense. You have some down years. You want And, look, I, I'm a Green Bay Packer fan, and so today's a pretty good day. But for the last couple of years, when they have been not so good – uh, fantasy football has been what's kind of kept me going with the with the NFL a little bit, so I can totally see that. How did you? Uh, was there like a creation draft or or was it an auction? Uh, how do? You, well, first of all, and I think I already know the answer to this. How much money is this league? So it's we actually we started just doing it for free. We, yeah, it was just for fun. We it was just for about being fans of the valley and. We didn't want to do it for money. It was just, you know, Bradley, ISU, root for all these teams, and it was super fun. Over the years, since we've now been doing this for 10 years now, and we've had more or less the same group of people the entire time, we've decided to throw 20 bucks down just to add a little bit of fun to it. And, I mean, these are guys that you've bonded with through this. I'm sure you see them in St. Louis every year. Uh, you know, have you, you created some friendships out of this? Oh, yeah, the the funny thing with this is, so the four the four Bradley guys, myself, Josh Sepich, Kyle Schmidt, and James Robertson. James Robertson was actually a former player at Bradley. He was a walk-on, um, but I've been friends with him growing up. So I knew all those guys. The four ISU guys are Joe Stokowski, Marty Butler, who's also from Peoria, and then two guys I didn't know, Mike Messel and Nick Lundin. And we know all these guys really well now. We've had a Facebook group message going for 10 years, going strong. So I know all of them really well. But the funny thing is, Nick Lundin and I still have never met in person. We've been doing this league for 10 years together, and it's never worked out for us to be able to go to the same games. We've never been able to go to the same Bradley ISU games. We've never been able to go down to St. Louis in the same year. And it's, it's just it's a running joke between us now 
that we've still never been able to meet up, that's, even though we've been in this league and known each other so well for 10 years. That's wonderful. So how, how do you, uh, you know, I imagine that there was some sort of creation draft or something like that to get all these guys on the team. Uh, but, but I'm kind of interested. There's such a great sophomore class in this league right now with A.J. Green, Javon Freeman, Liberty, Liam Robbins, everything like that. How did how did you guys divvy up these people? I think I see that uh, Kyle Schmidt has got AJ Green on his team because he he's yeah. ten, he tends to tweet about that a lot. Yeah, he likes to remind us of that. We um, we originally we started off the very first year we did a confidence pool pick'em of the Missouri Valley and the Mountain West Challenge. And so you pick the winners of each of the 10 games to the confidence 10 through 1. And then that was how we sorted the original draft order. So then whoever won got the first pick. And I believe, I don't remember off the top of my head who the first overall pick was. but It would be players that I'd never heard of because I didn't follow the Valley back then. I can be right. perfectly um, honest about that. Say, I want to say maybe it was Antoine Young at Creighton. I, I don't remember off the top of my head, but so we we went through that first year and it was set up originally as a one-keeper league. You could keep one player year to year. We would do the Missouri Valley Mountain West Challenge to determine the draft order every year. You'd keep one player and then draft the rest of your team. And so we've, we've evolved over the years. We have an optional second keeper now because we want to reward managers who do a good job of spotting young talent and can just really extend through multiple years getting connected to these players that aren't necessarily on your team. So while I was up at the Northern Iowa game last week watching A.J. Green pour in three after three after three, Kyle, who's a Bradley fan, is still texting me every time A.J. Green hits three and we're all yelling at him, telling him to shut up because we want AJ Green to stop hitting threes. And it's just, it's been, it's been so much fun over the years with all these random players and just all the connections that we have with these guys who have no idea that we run in the fantasy league and don't know that we exist. But it's, it's just been really, really fun. So when Valpo came in the league two years ago, I imagine you guys all had to do a lot of research on kind of what players are being brought into the league did you have have you had any Valpo players on your team over the last uh, three years I actually yeah I've got I've had Ryan Fizikas so that's been a little bit of a struggle um I've got Nick Robinson right now this year and going back to the keeper discussion I I knew about Javon Freeman Liberty I I liked him I was in on him early I followed him at Whitney Young in high school. I was shocked when he committed to Valpo. I couldn't believe that he wasn't going bigger than that. And I was staring at my second-round pick last year, staring between Javon Freeman Liberty and Lucas Williamson. And I picked Lucas Williamson, and I have not heard the end of it since. That's a tough one. You know, but to be fair, Lucas Williamson has never lost to Javon Freeman Liberty in college. But this is true, but the, wins and losses don't get you fantasy points. That's correct. That should be on a T-shirt somewhere, I think. Wins and losses don't get you fantasy points. I like that. Uh, you've got DeAndre Williams, a kid from Evansville, though, and I know he's been out, but uh, but that's a pretty good that's a pretty good pick, right? 
Yeah, right now, so we we determine the we don't determine the draft order. We use the non-conference to kind of evaluate who the players are and who we want to draft. And then our fantasy season is through the conference season. Perfect. So through the four conference games, even though DeAndre Williams has only played two, he's the number one player right now in average fantasy points per game. So I'm I'm happy that he's the number one player and it's been great, but when it's announced that he's not playing against Bradley, which was awesome as a Bradley fan, it was really frustrating because he was the last player that I had that night and I needed like 15 points for him to win and then I just end up getting a zero for him because I couldn't substitute anyone in for him. Well, it's, uh, you know, that's the blessing and the curse of, uh, of fantasy sports, which I'm, thir- I'm sure we've, uh, we've learned that all across the board. Uh, any uh, Looking at re- reality here, uh, where are you at with Bradley this year? Uh, you haven't lost a home game in like five years, it feels like. Um, they're 10 and 0 at home this year. I think it's a 14 game home winning streak. Uh, you got a tough week though, right? You got Missouri state, which I don't care if they're, what do they do on the court? They still have talent. And then at home against Northern Iowa this week, how, how are you feeling about the defending arch madness tournament champions this year? Yeah, we're, it's, it's been up and down. Obviously when, when childs went down, we, we kind of tempered our expectations a little bit, but we've we've played well without him. Um, every every game, it seems, I'm about ready to say, I feel like we're going to learn more about this team. And it was kind of okay. You beat you beat Drake at home without him. A game maybe you should still win. You go on the road. You lose to Northern Iowa. A game you might lose anyway. I thought I was going to learn a lot going into the Evansville game. But then DeAndre Williams doesn't play, and so it's you're playing them when they're weak in, and you still don't know. And then we come out, we struggle in the first half against Southern, but we play really well in the second half and end up blowing them out. I I still like where we're at. I think I think we can still compete for a championship this season. I hope so at least. But we're we're definitely going to learn a lot this week on the road at Missouri State's no joke. No matter how they're playing, we. Northern Iowa just blew them out there, so now I'm—I don't know if that's a good or a bad thing for us coming in on Wednesday. But then we've obviously got Northern Iowa coming in on Saturday, so we're we're going to learn a lot more about this team a week from now. Still a couple weeks away from Valpo and Bradley. Tony, thank you for joining me, and you know I'm—I I wanted to have you on. I—I I imagine you're never going to have any openings in this fantasy league, but you know I think some Valpo fans might be interested in setting up their own Missouri Valley fantasy league although this is the original the og league so tony thank you very much for joining and we're looking forward to valpo and bradley coming up on january 29th a lot of games to go between then we'll see you then thank you Special thanks to Tony Segetti right there, and special thanks to Mark Adams earlier. Valpo, Indiana State coming up Saturday night at the Athletics Recreation Center. Valpo lost both regular season games to Indiana State last year, including giving up 32 points to Tyreek Key in an overtime loss at the Arc. Gosh, I've got bad memories of that one. 68 combined free throws in that game. But then Valpo... Played Indiana State in Arch Madness in that uh, in that eight nine game I think it was and Valpo ends up blitzing them by twenty two points and who can forget the game that Marcus Golder had eighteen points in that one eight of eight from the free throw line and Javon Freeman Liberty seventeen points seven rebounds 
two assists and three steals. Excellent game there. And uh, But Tyree Key did have 20 points in that game, and he will be a handful at the arc on Saturday night. After that, Valpo will travel to Missouri State on Thursday, and then they're home on Sunday afternoon for a game against Evansville. So those are the next three games that are on the schedule for Valpo. Home against Indiana State should be a great opportunity to, as what Luke Gore says, pack the arc. And uh, against Saturday night home game, it's been a while since uh, you know they, they played Saturday afternoon against Drake. But other than that, in terms of weekend night games, the exhibition against Cedarville is the last one that you can look at. Valpo's played on a Tuesday night, a Sunday afternoon, a Wednesday night, a Sunday afternoon, and a Monday night. So this will be a big one for Valpo. Saturday night home game against Indiana State and uh, should be uh, should be a battle. Valpo's got a chance to get their 10th win of the year and a chance to move back into 3-3 three and three in conference play and keep pace with the rest of the conference. Thanks again for listening to Union Street Hoops. Again, you can always catch Union Street Hoops on Apple Pods, on Google Pods, on Spotify, on SoundCloud. We're all over the place. Thanks a lot, and always remember, Go Pack Go, big game this weekend. Let's go to the Super Bowl. Take care, everybody. Thank you.